Hello, and welcome to Not Otherwise Specified, a fun podcast about psychology that doesn't take itself too seriously, so you shouldn't either. This is purely for fun and by no means is meant to diagnose you or anyone you know with anything at all. So just sit back and enjoy the banter, don't worry about the oversimplifications, and get mentally intrigued. Welcome back to Not Otherwise Specified. I'm Rebecca, and I promise a podcast you won't soon forget. And I'm James, and I have already forgotten. (gasps) You've not. Ironically. No, you have not. So what are we talking about? You tell me, Rebecca. Memory. Memory. All alone in the moonlight. It's from Cats. Okay. All right. So... I already warned Rebecca, so I'll warn you as well. Um, I really enjoy teaching about memory. In fact, starting on Friday, that's what I'll be teaching my class, ironically. So it might be a little more academic than normal. Okay. But thankfully, there's not as much from Wikipedia. This is straight from my lectures. Wonderful. So what is memory, Rebecca? I have no idea, actually. I mean, I can tell you that memory is the ability to recall something. Okay. That's it. I'm going to give you the big fancy definition I give my class. Memory is a property or state of the organism that resulted from experience and that has a consequence of altering the organism's potentialities for future responses. I like mine better. Okay. (laughs) So this makes sense to my class because the chapter prior to that is about learning. Okay. The definition for learning or the three key factors to learning is that... There has to be a change that occurs. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, nothing happened. It has to come from an experience. Okay. So in other words, you don't just wake up one day knowing how to play the violin. You have to experience it yeah. somehow. And it is a potential change in behaviors. Simply because you've learned something doesn't mean you're ever going to use it. Or you might see someone doing some awful behavior that you hate. Yeah. So just because you learn that behavior from watching them doesn't mean you're going to do the same awful thing. Right. It's a potential to do that. Correct. So okay. look at this. Is it's a change in the organism from an experience yeah. that is a consequence of altering the potential for future responses. So there you go. So memory is the result of learning. Okay. Okay. So that's fine. <laughs> so because of all your confusions, I have four ways that we use memories or four four Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. All right. So it's the process of storing newly acquired information for later recall. Yes. Like memorizing something, Mm -hmm. I suppose. Recall for a specific experience, which is kind of what you said. Yeah. Just something that you remember. Total collection of remembered experiences stored in our brains. So our memory. Memory. Uh Um, And something, and now this is just a specific kind of memory, it's something that lights the corner of my mind. Oh my God. Like, you know, like the misty colored memories of the way we were. Wow. That's you a, just that's, quoted Barbara Streisand. That's a special type of memory. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, just go. So. I, I was going to actually bring that up. Uh, Instead of the cat's reference, James, we are just in sync. Yeah, well, I did it better. So ultimately, we do not merely experience and respond to stimuli is, is the point that I try to get out with that. Okay. So that's, the, that's kind of the purpose of our memories is to store things. But there's no point in storing it if we're never going to use it again. True. Right? So instead of just, if every, if we didn't do that, if everything we did was just 
a novel, brand new experience to us, that'd be a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> right? It, it, it would hamper our problem-solving abilities. It would make everything take way longer than it needs to. So yes. our memories kind of help us to engage in things rather than just randomly responding. Yeah, our life would definitely not be as rich and fulfilling without memories. Right. If we want to get all glurgy about it. So the main model of memory that is used, do you, you remember what that's called? No. From a long, long time ago? No. The information processing model. Okay. Do you know what that is? No. Well, good. I get to teach you. Again. Um, so this is a three-part thing. All right? Okay. So it's encoding. Uh-huh. Which is the process of perceiving information. So, you know, before that's that experience that we talked about. You you don't just magically have that information. You have to perceive it somehow. Yes. Okay. Uh, and then after we perceive it, the encoding process is when we organize it somehow. We make it meaningful or, you know, categorize somehow to where it makes sense to us. And then that kind of helps with storage and recall and all later which are the other two so we have storage which is just when you store that encoded material for later use okay right so like stashing those memories away and then retrieval is when you use it going back and getting them right okay so for instance i have memorized lots of things in my life okay all the words to baby got back okay very useful ice, skill ice baby all right i never use them so why okay. have I remembered But them? you have the potential to use them. I do every time I play them on the radio. I sing every word to okay. you. Okay, so we're going to come back to that idea. Not okay. Maybe not those songs in okay. particular, but yes. Um, so sometimes I, I bore my class with my elderly example of the way I learned information processing model before psychology class was in my computer science classes. Okay. Do you know how, how a computer works? No. Okay. So it... it Computers use essentially the same thing. So encoding is like when you type something on the keyboard or you down some, download something or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you store it in the, the hard drive. Okay? okay. And then you retrieve it into the memory whenever you use it. Okay. So. So memory is like a physical thing in a computer? Yes. Okay. I, I honestly, I have okay. no clue. So memory in a computer, and we'll get to that, but memory in computers like our short-term memory. Okay. Okay. So, do you know what the other two types of memories are? Long-term. Okay. And that's it. I'm asking you some hard ones tonight. You are. All right. So, the three memory systems. And I promise we'll get to the more interesting stuff, but you have to know what you're talking about, right? Okay. Okay. Nuts and bolts. So, our first line of defense with creating a memory, I guess, or our first active something is our sensory memory system. Okay. Okay, so I mean, that makes sense. If we have to perceive something in the first place, we have to. Sense how do we it. perceive it? Our senses. With our senses, right? Uh, so our sensory memory is kind of like a fairly accurate representation. Like you, like if you glance out a out a window, right? That that glancing is what your sensory memory is uh-huh. doing for you, right? The whole purpose of that is to figure out if what is in our environment is important enough for us to pay attention to okay because think about throughout our day we're like bombarded with all the sensory information sight sounds smells all these different things feels feels tactile i guess um but we don't pay attention to all of it 
show. Why not? Because it would drive us nuts. It drive us nuts, and we we couldn't get anything accomplished, right? There's just Correct. sensory overload, just way too much yes. going on, right? So the whole purpose, or the main purpose at least for our sensory memory, is to kind of sift through those things to figure out if they're important or not. Okay. All right. Um, we have two main types. We have, I, well, it can be any of your senses, but usually we think of it as either iconic, which would be visual memory, okay. or echoic, which would be auditory. What about smelling? It's olfactory, I guess. I don't know. I, I have a lot of memories with smell. Well, it can be smell memory too, but okay. the the best examples tend to be we... They, they call it even the, the dual code model of memory, right? Where we have, you know, we do better with one versus another. And they're talking about visual versus auditory. Okay, can I share a smell memory I have? Okay. Whenever I smell cooking ground beef, I think of my aunt's house. Okay. And it's specifically cooking ground beef. Okay. Not chicken or turkey. Beef. I think of her house out in the country. And it's a very strong memory for me. I All have right. very strong smell memories. Well, that that is the dual code model memory. Actually, I, okay. I get that mixed up with something else we'll talk about. Okay. Uh, but that's saying that our memories can either be stored in verbal codes, kind of like you know, stories, I guess, or sensory codes, right? So, you know, when I'm talking about this in class, I say, you know, you do you ever have a, a smell or just something you're walking through a store or something and all of a sudden you're thinking about your grandmother's house when you're a kid yeah. or or your first job you had or something like that that's because we we stored that sensory information when we made those long-term memories right, right. um but sensory memory the, the reason why not everything is coded as a sensory coded or sensorily whatever mm -hmm. coded memory is because we don't have much access to that it's really really short right okay. so our iconic um, memory for example we only have access to that for about 0.3 seconds oh so again just long enough for you to realize is this important enough for me to pay attention to okay right yeah. so that'd be i mentioned you're like glancing out a window that'd be like if you're just going along and you glance at something and you kind of do a double take and you look at it again uh-huh your brain decided okay this is worth you looking at oh all right. otherwise we just kind of dismiss it and we go on about our days yeah um so it lasts about 0.3 seconds. And the example I give my class is they've done experiments with this where they had a, a grid of letters or numbers or mm -hmm. typically it's letters. And I think it's normally going to be a five by five grid. Okay. Right. Uh, and they, they don't spell anything. It's just random lettering. And what they do is they ask people to to monitor that or stare at that, I suppose, for a couple seconds. And then you have to repeat back as many letters as you can uh, before you forget it. Okay. Right? What they found is that most people could get through uh, maybe four or five letters and then they just start mixing everything up. Mm. And what they found is that they were, instead of actually remembering it because they didn't have a chance to rehearse it and practice it, it was almost like they're just reading off of a picture. Right. So right. the most accurate ones that were recalled were the first few in that first row because they still had that iconic image in their head. So they just kind of read off of that. All right. Right. So if, if that's all we're limited to there, we have to do something else with it. Right. Yeah. So like if we like when you're glancing out and you see something and you decide it's important, you have to actually do something with that or it's just going to decay. So we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. But another option 
It's pretty rare, but it's called eidetic imagery. Have you heard of that one? Yes, I have. Okay, I tell us the about that one. Theory. Okay. What, what's it also called, Rebecca? Uh, photographic. Photographic memory. memory. Very good. Sheldon is able to just look at something and I guess preserve a picture in his head and then just pull up that picture whenever he needs. Right. Which is awesome. Right. So instead of memorizing the verbal codes of it, it's it's the imagery of it. Yes. Right? It's pretty rare to have a true photographic memory. Uh, most commonly, they say it's found in children, uh, I guess, just because they don't have as many things distracting them in their brains. Right? Henry definitely has an amazing memory. Right. You suppose he... Like, d- does it fade away as you grow up? Usually. Okay. Right. That's um, too bad. Because it's incredible. But what what they believe is happening with with the eidetic memory or the eidetic imagery, I guess, is that most people have that extremely short interval of time, the 0.3 seconds. But people with a photographic memory can store that same iconic image in their brains for up to a couple minutes. Right, so they have tremendously more rehearsal, more chance to just let it sink in. Yeah. So it's very likely that that's going to be stored in that way rather than the verbal codes. Mm-hmm. Right. Then the echoic image, uh, echoic memory is the same idea, but just with sound. Um, it's it's kind of like hearing an echo. Right. So you for the iconic, you see this picture in your brain for a second. Like an icon. Right. Not not consciously. It's just you know the way our right. brain's processing it. The echoic memory would be more like an echo in your brain. Yeah. Right. Um, it's kind of like that that what phenom- phenomenon, right? So have you ever been in a restaurant or coffee shop or just you know, amongst other people? You're doing your own thing, looking at Facebook, not paying any attention. Then all of a sudden you say, wait, what were you talking about? Uh-huh. Like it, our, our, even if we're not paying attention to it, our brain is likely still filtering through that for importance. Oh, my goodness. So whenever something, maybe our name comes up or a name of a loved one or something we're interested in, our, our brain kind of gets triggered to... Or someone says our name. Right. Yeah. Our, our brains get triggered to pay attention to that. Okay. Right. Um, this one lasts two seconds, right? So we oh, still... It's much longer than... Right. We, we have hardly any time with it, but it's tremendously longer than, than iconic. Um which is why with the modality effect, we tend to recall things better that we hear rather than that we see. Okay. Depending on the person. Some people do better with visual learning. Some people do better mm-hmm. with auditory learning. But typically, we're going to recall something better that we hear because we have longer to rehearse it. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah. Make sense so far? Yep. All right. So the thing we have to do if we want to keep it. So our brain decided through our ears or our nose or eyes or whatever. Okay, something is intriguing here. Maybe we need to pay attention to it. Then it gets transferred over to our short-term memory. Okay. Okay. What What do you think of a short-term memory? Dory. Okay. What What happened to poor Dory? Well, she had she had no short-term memory. Right. She had short-term memory issues. Right. And so she could only hold memories or certain memories in her brain for a short time. Right. And then they were gone. Right. And the way, but she did remember Wallaby Way or whatever that address was. How did she do that? Do you remember? She repeated it. She rehearsed it, right? She practiced it. Um, So short-term memory is really only about 15 to 30 seconds. So we're still not talking about a a huge amount of time. Okay. Tremendously longer than the other stuff. When I think of short-term memory, like just in normal time. You think of things like like for the day. day, Right. Yeah. 
I mean, that that is you know, normally how we use it, I guess. But technically, anything past that 30 seconds to maybe a minute would be considered long-term memory. Wow, okay. Right? Um, simply, I mean, it's not like you're, you will remember today for the rest of your life or anything. It just means it's longer than short-term memory. Um, short-term memory is also pretty limited. Uh, depending on the person, they estimate you can get about seven units of memory at a time. So you can remember seven aspects of something. Oh, okay. Right? So there, I'm going to teach you a special technique called chunking. <laughs> All right. Um, so if you're trying to remember something, uh-huh. uh, let's see, like a phone number, right? Okay. How do you remember that phone number? In a block of three, a block of three, and a block of four. Right. So so normally what that be. 10 items you'd be remembering yes so instead we break it into three chunks of items so that our memories can cope with that so we're not remembering 10 individual items remembering chunk one has this chunk two has this and so on right okay um so just because we can only remember seven things at a time doesn't mean that everything else disappears we just have to find some way to make it more meaningful. That's that's that encoding process. We, okay. We're processing it. Like your area code, for instance. Right. That's a very meaningful part of your phone number. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Right. And what I do in my class is I put like the, this random string of like 12 digits or letters or whatever on the board. And typically, they tend to remember them pretty well because without, without me teaching them that, they just naturally break it into chunks or they find meaningful arrangements. Maybe they recognize these two letters reminded them of something, right? Okay. So it's, that's what our, our short-term memory is doing is working with all this information that's being sent to it. To make it usable. Okay. Right. Um, once it's done, our, our short-term memory, its first job at least is kind of the same as a sensor. We're just trying to make sense of what's going on, right? Okay. If that works, if we still think it's important, then we ship it over to our long-term memory, which is basically just the holding tank, right? Okay. We can't do anything in our long-term memory. Think of it like a uh, filing cabinet. You just stuff it in there and it's done. Okay. Right. Um, if we want to use it, though, what do you think we do? We go back and retrieve it. Okay, and then then where does it go? Into short-term memory. Back into our short-term memory, okay. right? It's another name for it is our working memory, mm-hmm. right? So if we're going to do anything with a memory, we pull it out of the file of long-term, and then we, we manipulate it somehow, we rehearse it or what have you, and then we put it back when we're done with it. Okay. So how does like muscle memory work, like tying your shoes? That is a long-term memory, which I'm about to tell you about. Okay. Uh, So long-term memory is things like facts, feelings, skills that we have, Uh those sorts of things. Calculus. That's calculus. That's what we would use (laughs) to help solve previous or to help solve new problems based on these previous memories. Right. Okay. We recall the things that remind remind us of our current situation. And bam, we, we have a possible solution at least. Voila. Voila. So the first one we have, first type of long-term memory is procedural, which that'd be like muscle memory. Tying your shoes. It's, it's how to perform certain skills. Okay. Right? So that's like those cheesy things like, it's just like riding a bike. Yes. Right? If if you do it enough, it kind of becomes muscle memory. You're you're not going to have to relearn it. You might be rusty for a little while, but... I mean, I cannot ever imagine without some sort of traumatic brain injury forgetting how to tie my shoes. Right. Or forgetting how to ride a bike. Now, we we know all too well, 
teaching <laughs> someone to do those well, things. You know, it's, but, but my point is it's much easier. It takes a while when, to learn procedural memories. And also, it, I have to, I can't explain to someone how to tie a shoe. Right. I would have. I remember when we were trying to teach Henry first to tie a shoe that it was weird for me because I was so used to tying it from my perspective that you turning around and trying to tie it for him, it just felt wrong And I because that to, was against the procedure. And to go through the steps myself to even right. explain to him what to do next because I didn't know what to do next unless I was in the, right. in the procedure. Okay. Okay. Uh, so anything that's not a skill, so non-procedural would be called declarative memory instead. So that would be like recall for facts about something. Okay. Uh, we have two types of this one too. There's oh plenty goodness. of subtypes, right? Um, but before we get to that, you mentioned about how how difficult it is to teach these things. Like trying to teach poor Henry and William to ride a bike. Oh, my gosh. Um, you were a trooper with that. You had more patience than I did. And that was not a lot. But um, the declarative memories, we tend to learn a lot quicker. We can create a memory about a fact a lot quicker than we can create a memory about a procedure. Okay. Right? So yes. like I could tell, like I told you a minute ago, the definition for memory, and you probably don't remember it because it's long and confusing, yeah. but a lot of words. You, you could read it a few times and you know it a lot quicker than it took you to learn play piano or Correct. something, right? However, the declarative memories are much less permanent. Oh. Because, I mean, think about it, with the procedural memory, you're having to repeat that procedure over yes. and over and over again, which that's going to cement it in there pretty well. If you remember something pretty quickly with declarative memory, you didn't have to try very hard. Yeah, that right? is the practicing for your math test over several weeks and doing your homework and asking questions and practicing the problems and cramming the night before the test. Seems, Which one works Seems like better, you've discussed James? this before. Oh my goodness, have I discussed it? So declarative memories, we have the, the two subtypes. We have episodic memories, which that's okay. more of like memories about ourselves. So like if I asked you, what did you do at work today? You would describe back to me your episodic, your autobiographical memory, okay. right? Typically they're pretty chronological, right? Uh -huh. we, we might mix up, you know, tiny details here or there, but for the most part, we remember them in a chronological manner. And then anything else that's not, the other ones would be semantic memories. So that'd be uh, just non-personal facts. So that'd be calculus. Yeah. That'd be grammar rules. That would be anything you'd read in a book or an encyclopedia, right? So that- You've just committed to personal memory. Right. Okay. But regardless, all of those, if you're going to do anything with it, you're going to transfer it back to short-term memory. Right. Right. Okay. So short-term memory is kind of like the middleman for all of our memories. So sensory can't do anything. It has to send it to short-term. Long-term can't do anything. It has to send it back to short-term. So that's where all the work happens. So we could like relate it to long-term memory is like backstage and short-term memory is like the wings, like waiting in the wings, right? Sure. Okay, I don't do theater, but I do know that analogy. Okay, good. That makes sense. <laughs> okay. All right, so any... Uh, I know this has been very academic, but any questions yeah. so far? I don't think so. I okay. think I've asked them all. Okay, we're getting closer to the interesting stuff, I promise. Uh, so next we have ways to make your memories easier or better for you. Oh, good. Right? So these are called encoding methods or mnemonic devices. Okay. All right. Um, I don't know, do you teach any mnemonics for math to your classes or anything? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I did today, actually. It's not really a mnemonic. It has to do with numbers. Is that still okay. a mnemonic? 
Can be. About memorizing the values of sine, cosine, and tangent for acute angles. Sure. Okay. It's, it's just about finding a, um, like a better way of organizing that memory. I know one. Uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star, power equals I squared R. Okay. It's a physics one. That'd be one. Okay. Uh, you could have said PEMDAS. <gasps> oh, that, that's see, a math one. Those you ones. say order of operations. Well, yeah, whatever. You're fancy. Um, so chunking, that, that's not really an encoding method, but still it, it helps you to, to, think, to um, organize things. So let's see, just based on these names, I want you to, to tell me what they are. Okay. All right. Clustering. What would clustering be to help you organize your memories? Putting things together into boxes. Close enough. You, okay. you kind of categorize things, right? So it's like if you had... So again, remember we can only store like seven items in our memory at a time. Yeah. Let's say you had to go to the grocery store and buy 15 items. Yes. And for some weird reason, you don't have your phone. You don't have anything you can write it on. So you're just like rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing. Yes probably going to forget something uh-huh. right uh, so you can cluster it instead into meaningful groups so you need um, these three dairy items and yes. these two vegetables yes. and so on to I've shrink it down yeah. right or if it's a place you're familiar with you might think well i need these things on all one these things on all two and so on you could do that at office yeah Max. probably could can we talk about that and your memory of every item on every aisle at office max I think that is more muscle memory than anything because okay. I did it so often. Um, how about this one? The method of loci. I have no idea. Okay. A loci, like... Uh, no, L-O-C-I. Oh, oh loci. Lo- oh, like a locus. Yes. Like where things... Like... Um, I, I, a locus is an area. Right. So where things are in an, er- in an area? Right. Okay. Yay. Right. Which makes sense, but the, the memory version of it is, oh. is a little bit odd. Um, so it has three other names. It's also called Memory Journey, Memory Palace, or Mind Palace. Oh, Sherlock. What do you know about a Mind Palace, Rebecca? Sherlock. Oh, well, sure. How, how does he use his Mind Palace? He goes into his little Mind Palace, and it, everything is, it's almost like he goes into a little house in his mind. Right. And, and different things, right? And different aspects of that house or palace, I guess, uh, trigger a memory or trigger you know something to help him solve crimes. I guess. On right? a related note, house did the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, house. I, is I don't think he, I don't think he called it that, but yeah. Yeah. So basically, what you're doing is you're memorizing a layout for something. Okay. Okay. Um, which, well, that that's what you base it off of. So. It has to be something you're very familiar with. So, like, if you if you drive the same route to work every day, right? You're yes. pretty familiar with that route. And you might recognize different landmarks or, you know, the, the low side is what uh-huh. they called it in these different places. Um, and what you do, if you have a, a list to remember things, you, you kind of walk through in your brain this layout, right? So, you, you walk through in your brain... I pass this road, then this road, and then there's this park bench and all these things. And you associate one of the things you need to remember with each of these locations. Okay. Right? So let's say you every day you go to work, you pass by a park that has a a bench, then a water fountain, and um, a big tree. Okay. And you need to remember various food things. You could say you could imagine seeing a chicken sitting on the park bench and then, you know, a 
can of beans is swimming in the fountain or something, right? So you're, it's not usually that ridiculous, but yeah. you're associating things with that layout. Is this things that like normal people typically do? Probably in a more normal way than I just described. Okay. But the idea is you're very familiar with that locus. You're very familiar with that location. So if you can remember that location, you can use that to help you remember other things. Okay. Right. How about this one? Narrative story. What do you think that is? Well, it's a story. Okay. How could that help you with your memory? You could just think of your memory as a story, right. I guess. So if we're okay. sticking with that same list of grocery items, you could make up a story about how the, the chicken was punching the can of beans and you can get crazy with it. Uh, it doesn't have to make sense. And in fact, the more ridiculous it is, the more novel it is, the more likely you are to remember it. Well, this is kind of like when... Is this would be, this be like reconstructing a memory? Yes, we're okay. we're going to talk about that, but okay. this would be more like reorganizing a memory to where it's more um, more uh, obvious to recall. I okay. guess right. You're making it more vivid. That's what okay. I was thinking of. Right. Um, so there was a study in 1969 by uh, Bauer and Clark where they, they had two groups of people who had to remember a certain set of items. Right. One group was told to just rehearse it any way they want to. They, they, they were the control group. Then a second group, they had to uh, turn it into a narrative story. They want to see how effective it was. What they found after I think they did one week follow up, one month follow up and then three months or something along those lines. Uh-huh. Um the group that was the control group that didn't do anything special, they remembered about 14% of the items at the end of the story. Uh, the group that did the narrative story remembered 94% of the items. Oh. So, uh, again, it's it's very vivid and it helps with that recall. Okay. Um, what about... Go ahead. No, no, it's okay. What about acrostics? What are those? Aw, we used to make those in middle school. All right. That's where you would um, make the first or e- each letter of a word like for instance Rebecca R would be like radiant and E would be energetic mm-hmm. and B would be beautiful etc so, right and the the memory version though is is making it more into like a sentence right so okay so that was just you know taking the letters to create something this would be uh, well you took piano you probably know every good boy does fine yeah right so the f- first letter of each word is meant to trigger something else also good boys do fine always okay is that the uh-huh. others that's the bass clef okay the, the lines on the bass clef all right and just for completion the spaces on the bass clef are a c e g all cajuns eat gumbo and nice. the spaces in the treble clef spell face so awesome. now you all know you can read music go ahead <laughs> awesome uh how about acronyms rebecca what are those an acronym is, oh my God, James, what's an acronym? PEMDAS. Okay, yes. It's where, Roy G. Biv. <laughs> it's where you, I, I couldn't think of the, I couldn't think of it. My, I guess oh, my dear. long-term memory is malfunctioning. Oh no, we're about to learn how to test that. It's where you take the first letter of a list and you make it into a word. Right. Like you, you take the first letters and mm-hmm. create a word out of them. Right. Like PEMDAS. Call it order of operations. All right. Okay. So we, we go through all these things to try to make it better, but if we didn't encode well, 
right? If, if we just screwed something up in this process, it's going to be hard for us to recall it because it just wasn't organized well yes. and all that. So to test recall or to test long-term memory, we have uh-huh. a few things. The first one is recall. Or the, the main two are recall and recognition. Like put someone on the spot and say, what's an acronym, Rebecca? Right. Okay. That, that is a recall question. <laughs> it was. So recall question would be like an essay question, fill in the blank and all that. Uh-huh. Or I could could have said, Rebecca, is an acronym A, gave you an option, multiple B. Choice. Right, multiple choice. That would be recognition. It's way easier. Right. Recognition, you know the answer is there. Yes. You just have to uh, recognize which one you know. Okay. Right? Uh, typically, most people prefer that kind of test versus uh, yeah. what's an acronym. Except in math. Multiple choice tests in math are a bad idea, okay. in my opinion. I, I used to like them because then I could see if my answer matched any of the choices. Yeah. But then you could have a similar answer. and No partial credit. Yeah. I don't believe in math without mm-hmm. partial credit. So the other, the other two ways of testing long-term memory are, are a little more labor-intensive. Uh-huh. Um, so the next one would be called uh, relearning. Okay. So after you've already learned something after a time period, you go back and you learn it again. Yes. And you have what's called a saving score. So if it took you three months to learn a process the first time and it only took you two months the second time around, you had a saving score of one month, right? So okay. if you if you learn it quicker than you did the, in the first place, then your long-term memory worked. Right? Okay. Um, well, yeah, hopefully that would be the case. Right. Uh, then finally we have overlearning, right? So after oh. you've learned something, you just keep on learning it. So if you think you know something for a test, keep studying anyway. Right, because the more you rehearse it, just like doing the procedural stuff, the more you rehearse it, the less likely you are for that memory to decay. True. Yes. Because you've practiced it more often. Well, and I know I can speak from experience, and our children probably too. I took French class for 13 years, at least. And I practiced French every school day of my life for 13 Mm -hmm. years, and I still no French words. I mean, and I, I can kind of speak it. Not, you know, mm-hmm. not great. But to my vocabulary is still there. Yeah. I'm, I amaze myself sometimes that I remember the French word for things. You have to sit and actively remember it sometimes. Yes. And do you know yeah. what I do? Like what I tell the boys to do. Picture the thing in your head and the French word will come to you. Don't try to translate it. Picture the thing in your head. It's very strange. But... So memories are strange. Would you like to hear how strange they are? I would. So memories are also a dynamic process. Yes. Meaning they can get screwed up and changed. Yes. Right? This is what you wanted to learn about, right? Yes, it is. Okay. So I told you we'd get to your fun stuff. Um, So these are all technically different categories, but they all all bleed in together. So Mm -hmm. so we'll go with that. Um, So these are just some ways that memory is impacted by what's going on. First one is called constructive memories, or you called them, you, recon, you said reconstructing memories earlier, yes. right? Um, what they find is that you know our brains are constantly filtering through all this information and you know sensory stuff. Uh huh. It's not going to store everything. <laughs> it stores the meaningful bits, right? What yes. the parts that actually matter, our brain tucks away, and then when we recall, we pull out those meaningful parts. Yes. Right. Um, but when we are remembering something, like if we're telling a story or recounting uh, something that happened earlier in the day, we tend to be more of reconstructing what happened rather than 
you know, verbatim re- repeating back the exact memory. Not not okay. for the purpose of lying, right? right. It's just um, we we might say what we think happened logically. Mm-hmm. We might say what we wanted to happen if it wasn't a very good situation. Yes. Um, but we, we use those primary important facts that we have and our brain just kind of fills in the gaps with logical things that make sense. Yeah, that probably happened. Right. Okay. So like if I if I told you what I did during the day, I'd probably I would know the the big details, but you know, I couldn't remember what time things happened, what what clothing my clients were wearing, those sorts of things. Yeah. They would just you'd fill it in, right? Okay. Um, which is I mean it makes sense. We we construct it just out of efficiency, I guess. But there are ways that can mess that up or things that can mess that up, right? Um, So a couple of those are we have something called presuppositions. Have you heard of that in any of your crime things? No. Um, So this is, uh, you know, the implications might change given the language that is chosen, Uh right? So if you're questioning someone about, you know, what color a wallet was, Uh right? If you say, what color was the wallet, you might get one answer. But then if you instead change it to say, what shade of blue was the wallet? Ah, yeah. You know, you're still asking for a color, but you're kind of leading them on so they think that it was a blue wallet, whether it was or not. Yeah. And then the wallet turns blue in their memory. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, We have false memories, but I want to come back to that one. Okay. that's That's a real big one. Uh, well, you know, actually what, that kind of goes with the next one, so let's just go with it. Okay. Uh, so what is a false memory? It's a memory that's not a true memory. A memory that never occurred. Yes. Right, which makes no sense, but it's it's kind of like an implanted memory, whether from some outside force or just, you know, really bad reconstructing of a memory and it just came up that way. Right? I have one. Okay. I have a personal, fa- well, I have two. Okay. I, well, I have one that is actually a personal false memory. And another one that is um, a, a non-memory. <laughs> okay, explain yourself. Okay. Well, we'll go with the non-memory first. Okay. I watched the movie Michael Clayton. <laughs> All right. And roughly three months later, I got real excited because Michael Clayton was playing on HBO. And I insisted that we watch it. And you told me we'd already seen it. And I I waited a while and about halfway through I said, you know, we've seen this, right? And (laughs) And you were convinced. No, I haven't. No, I wasn't convinced until the last scene when I looked at you and said, you know, I think we've seen this. (laughs) And Uh, so that's not a false memory. That's a a poorly encoded memory. What what else were you doing while you watched the the movie? Oh, God, no telling. All All sorts of things. The next I don't think you were into Facebook then, but no, but it could have been. The next one is one that I didn't realize was a false memory until I realized a fact about this event. Okay. I clearly remember the Challenger space shuttle exploding. Okay. And I thought I was like seven or something when it happened because I had that clear of a memory of it. I was not even three years old. There is no way. I remember the Challenger exploding. And when I realized but it But how in, did you have that memory? I watched, uh, like, replays on TV. You watched replays? I heard you, from you kind of parents. experienced it the same way that people did. Yes. Right? Just And you uh, just adopted later. it as part of your, your memory. And it, it was the strangest thing, because when I heard it was the 20th, or the, sorry, the 30th anniversary last year, and I said, 
no way. That was that <laughs> cannot have been 30 years ago because that would have made me three. And I absolutely remember that. So assuming everyone was lying, I Googled it <laughs> and turns out I was three. How about that? So I, I never, I, I likely did not right. experience it. So a, a false memory, um, I don't know if that would 100% be a false memory or just a an altered memory somehow right yeah. a false memory is something that didn't happen whatsoever okay it, it did happen you, yeah, I mean, you that, were that, alive that when occurred. it happened yes. you may have not been aware of it and all that right um so a false memory is more something that didn't occur whatsoever okay right uh so the best example is called the lost in the mall technique mm-hmm. uh, i think i've described this to you too before but uh it's it's a memory implantation technique is what Ooh. they called it and yeah it was developed by um this psychologist named Elizabeth Loftus, and she had a, a student, a graduate student named Jim Cohen, um, and she was very, very against the the use of uh, repressed memories in like trials, right? Or the um, the recovered memories is, yes. is what they were called back yes. then, right? Um, so she wanted to prove that you can implant these false memories to disprove the fact that you can always trust these these uh, repressed or these recovered memories, yes. right? So what they did was um, they uh, they started it off just as like an extra credit assignment for Jim Cohen. Um, and he had he came up with four stories uh-huh. with his family members. Um, and one of them was false. So there are stories that from their life, right? Yeah. Their, their meaningful life. Uh, and one of them was incorrect, or one of them was false, which was that Cohen's brother was lost in the mall at around the age five. Okay. Uh, an elderly person rescued him, and he was then reunited with his family. Okay. Right? Um, the adults, you know, so I think it was like his parents, his brother, and maybe a uncle or something, right? Um, all of them were able to figure out which one was the false memory, uh-huh. right? The brother, however, couldn't figure it out, and then he added extra details about when he was lost in that mall. <gasps> so it was it was worded convincingly enough that he wasn't quite sure because he was five, he didn't remember. So he, he kind of took that memory on, and you know that it became this this thing that it really wasn't yeah right um she got in a lot of trouble for this (laughs) there are all kinds of ethical problems with with the way that it was run because they not not that one in particular but they they repeated it with other people and um they said that the way that it was run was unethical and you you can't use this to disprove something else and and all that you can't it doesn't generalize yeah right um Another example of false memories that I like to use uh, is uh, nostalgia and advertisements. Yes. Have you ever experienced this? Make America Great Again? No. Well, that's not really nostalgia. Well, it is nostalgia about again, I guess. But um, what's what's a magical thing that McDonald's does every now and then? Monopoly. Well, yeah, that that's, bring back the McRib. That's naturally yes. Okay. They bring back the McRib, and what do they do? They have these delicious-looking commercials and advertisements, and you know, people freaking out the McRib is back. Then you get it. It's not bad, but it's not this magnificent no. thing. It is a chunk right? of what we imagine might be pork. Kind of, it's a false sense of nostalgia. Yeah, it's. Right? I mean, let's be real. It's pretty delicious. 
It's got onions and pickles. Right. <laughs> just, it's good. Okay, well, let's go with a different example. Maybe uh, you remember, you see a commercial for a, a toy you had as a kid, and, yes. and they're bringing it back, and you met said, man, I remember how awesome that was. This was such a fun game. Teddy Ruxpin. Candyland. I'm, okay. I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> I remember going crazy about Candyland when, when I was a kid. Uh-huh. First time I played it with our kids, I was miserable. Yeah. It's such an awful game, right? Yeah. But it's, it's this false mis- but, nostalgia. Wait, can, can we talk about Disney World? Okay. And how unmagical the place seemed when I was 33 years old? I remembered it as an actual magical place, James. It, it had, like, actual amazing magical properties when I was eight. And then we went back when I was in my 30s. And it was nice. It you was cool. You left your poor imagination at home. But it was not the magical place I, I was when I was eight. So, yeah, I've totally experienced that. <laughs> All right. So before you get anti-nostalgic, let's move on. Uh, so these other ones, I, I say, are, are related to false memories. But, again, it's more of just the the misleading memories or, or changing okay. the memories. So next one is eyewitness testimony. Oh, yeah. All right. How, how do you think that fits into changing memories? Well, it's awful. It's very unreliable. Right. And people, they've really gotten away from using eyewitnesses in trials because of how unreliable it is and how easily influenced it yes. is. Yes. And they found that even just the language itself that you use, even though you might be saying the same thing, uh-huh. describing the same event, the language that is used can be conflicting, right? Yes. So uh, an example I give my class is, let's say uh, you were asked to give a an eyewitness testimony on a car accident that you saw, uh-huh. right? And you were to say, uh, or, no, okay, so this is how I present it. The officer or the lawyer, whoever you're talking to, tells you, describe to me what you saw when car A contacted car B. Uh-huh. Okay, and you would say, well, whatever you saw, right? right? What if the wording was changed to, Tell me about what happened when car A hit car B. So Uh, it's still the same accident where you change from contacted to hit. Yes. Or if you say, what happened when car A smashed into car B? Yeah. Right. The the wording is going to evoke different emotional pictures and Uh that's going to influence what you're saying. Um, And this is called... Easily enough, the misinformation effect. Okay. The presentation of misleading information that leads people to erroneous reports of that misinformation. Okay. Right? Um, So it's like anything that you learn after the event that changes that memory. Okay. So how how susceptible you are. Right? Right. So there are a few things that add to that time from the episode. The Uh further away you get, the more easily. The more you remember it. Right? The more susceptible you are. The source reliability, right? So if it, if you can, if you perceive this person as uh, an authority figure, like a, a, a cop is interviewing you, uh-huh. or you know, a judge is asking you questions, you might be more likely to bend to that than if your friend down the street is, is talking yeah. to you, right? Um, the amount of discussion or rehearsal you've had. So if a lot of people are talking about it, that's going to influence you. Yeah. Uh, your state of mind when it happened. If you're drunk, probably don't ask that person about what they saw. Yes, definitely. Right? Uh, and then leading questions, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of like what we said earlier is you know, what shade of blue was the wallet? Right? Yes. That, that's a leading question. Um, so you said you had some some memory stuff you wanted to add to, to this. Have I, have I gotten to that yet or... 
Yeah, well, I is the Challenger and Michael Clayton. Okay, that, that's it. And also Alien Abductions. But I didn't get to finish listening to that podcast this afternoon. Okay, so I'm I still proud really of you know. for doing research. Oh, thank you. I just researched um, personally, and it took me roughly 45 seconds. But I used memory to do it. So there you go. There. Topical. Thank you. Uh, so a couple other uh, you know dynamic things about memory. Uh, we have something called state dependent memory. Have you heard of that one before? No. Um, so I'll apologize now. It's an awfully long definition, but it's recall of particular events, experiences, or information. So a memory yes. uh, is aided by the subject being in the same context or physiological state in which the information was first encoded. So there's a few. So there you can have physical location memory. Yes. Uh, so like I, I tell my students, you know, the, based on this idea, if you were to sit in the same chair every day in class and were to then come and sit in that chair to study and sit in that chair to take the test, that would help you to trigger your memories. Yes. Because all the sensory information that's around you, you know, what part of the board you see and all this, those are coded, you know, sensory wise into that memory. Uh-huh. Right, um, or if you if you remember doing something, but you can't remember what it was, and you go back to where it was that yeah. you're doing it, it might help to trigger that memory. Like me, when I leave the kitchen to go into our bedroom, and halfway there, I say, "Why was I going in there?" Right. I go right back in the kitchen, and I can remember. Then you remember. There you go. Uh, so we also have emotional state memory. Yes. So if you are the idea behind that is if you are very calm and relaxed you know, like you underwent hypnosis or something when you were learning something if you get back into that state before you perform it you're going to be more likely to remember it yes right or if you are very depressed and then you get very depressed again you know, the idea is that you're going to be in the brain the same brain context It'll help you to memorize, to, to remember again. Uh, there's some controversy with that. Apparently, there's something else called something like um, emotion contingent memory. Okay. Or something along those lines where uh, you would, if you were trying to remember something or remember aspects about a situation when you were sick or depressed or something like that, you'd be more likely to remember negative aspects about it. You know, the... Yeah. The, just the like, negativity because that's just the mindset you're the in. The way Seven Up tastes. Okay, yeah, sure. Because it tastes gross. Because right. I only it doesn't really taste gross, but I. But only you associate that with being sick, yeah. right? Uh, and then the final one is called drug state learning. Oh Have my. you heard that one before? Uh, I've heard of it. So the idea behind that, and I, I preface this to my students to not ever try this. Yeah. If you get sloppy drunk. Uh huh. While you're studying for a test, yes, you'd remember better if you were sloppy drunk when you took the test. But would you? Well, physiologically, would you? Yes, but I have a caveat for that, okay. right? You would remember anything you would have typically remembered when you were drunk. So right? not much. It's not going. It's not a good idea. Yeah. But you might remember a little bit more because you're in that same state, right? An example that. Uh, I can't remember if I saw it in, in one of my books or online, but you know, this guy was delivering a package somewhere, but he was really drunk when he did it. Um, but he couldn't remember where he put it afterwards, and it was in the wrong place. So he got drunk again, and then he remembered where it was, and he went and got it. Okay. So, um, same ideas. Uh, again, bad idea, but if you were to get really, really, really hyped up on caffeine while you're studying, uh-huh. if you have a, a giant cup of coffee while you take your test, 
it might trigger something. Okay. But you also have to weigh that with the negatives of <laughs> whatever the drug is. You might that you're as taking. well just study. Yeah, that'd be a better okay. idea. Uh, so the next one I'm going to trigger you is I'm going to ask you what was going on when you heard about 9-11? You really want to ask me that? Mm-hmm. I was a freshman in college. I was in calculus class. If I may bring up calculus for the, Again. the third time in this podcast. And um, it was like 8, 8.30 in the morning. And someone came in and said, two planes just flew, or, sorry, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center buildings. And I thought it was a little prop plane. Turns out it wasn't. That's where it was. I All was right. in Mickle Hall. I think it was a little later. Though. I think it was like 10 something. Because, well, again, that's that's my memory of this. Because I was sitting in honor seminar, yeah. and I didn't want to be there. I was really hungry. It was right next to the cafeteria. Yeah. And I wanted it to hurry up and be done so I could go eat lunch. And then everyone got quiet, and we turned on the TV, and all that happened. Okay. Right? It was definitely earlier than that? Well, well maybe... Maybe it was delayed on our TVs. Probably. Because it was definitely like 8.45. But this is called flashbulb memory. <laughs> okay. Right? So it's almost like you take a snapshot of that mm-hmm. moment in time. And if you think about it, of course, the question was what was going on. But yeah. um, if you think about it, the way that most people respond to that question, and it's never failed when I've asked in my class, it's describing what you were personally doing in that moment. Yes. Not so much the event that happened. How many of your students legitimately remember that? It's getting worse yes. and worse. It's getting to where <laughs> well, it's... I guess. Well, yeah. It's yeah. getting to where it's more of, you know, I was in daycare. I was uh-huh. in something. I wasn't born yet. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to come up with a new example. Um, but, you know, that, that's what it is. You know, any, any event with, you know, extreme emotion tied uh-huh. to it uh, can have, have that effect. Um, so to finish all this off, we'll get a little more, um, fun is tell us about the Mandela effect, Rebecca. Okay. I have come up with a new name for the Mandela effect. Okay. Arrogance. (laughs) What is the Mandela effect? It is the, it's this theory or there, there are many theories but one time someone was wrong about when Nelson Mandela died. They thought he died in the 80s. Turns out he died in 2013. Mm-hmm. But they were wrong. And instead of thinking, gee, I was wrong, they jumped to the conclusion that we must be living in a parallel universe wherein Nelson Mandela died in the 1980s. Or maybe you're from a parallel universe and you've now come into this one. Or someone traveled through time and changed so do you remember continuum. what the the quote-unquote evidence for that is? Well, yeah, there are several, right? Well, the, the idea is, so we, we talked about the false memories, right? Or the, the reconstructed memories. Uh-huh. They find that these certain things, and I have a, a list of 20 that I'm going to quiz you on. Wonderful. Um, not just one person believes it. Like, there are huge groups of people who yes. believe this. So they think, well, something else must be going sure, on. Sure, because maybe, internet, maybe that's the aliens involved The internet again. cannot have propagated all this misinformation. Not even one bit. Okay. All right, so are you ready for your Mandela Effect test? Yes. Now, I will preface this. We, we saw a... An awesome YouTube video about this, so Rebecca may know some of these. I'll so she's, like I so don't. you're cheating if okay. you do. How do you spell Oscar Mayer? 
My Baloney has a first name. It's O-S-C-A-R. My Baloney has a second name. It's M-A-Y-E-R. That's, right? That's cheating using the song. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently many people very adamantly remember it as M-A-Y-A-R. What? Mayar. In know. what universe? All right. What is the name of the show that features Carrie, Samantha, Miranda, and Charlotte? Sex and the city. Sex and the city. Yes. Very good. What do many people think it is? Sex in the city. There you go. How does the song We Are the Champions end? Second. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm trying to think of the end of it. I'm singing it to myself. No time for losers because we are the champions. Dun, dun. Very right? good. Okay. Most people think there's another of the world at the end. No. But it ends with we are the champions. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're in our universe I'm so far, Rebecca. I'm a big fan. All right. Uh, does rich Uncle Pennybags, that's the Monopoly guy, okay. have a monocle? Well, according to Ace Ventura Part 2, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. The answer is no. So Ace Ventura oh. even had it wrong. Ace? So they, they think that people, uh, unless you're just from a different universe... Mr. Peanut. Oh, it's uh, combine Mr. Peanut. it with Mr. Peanut and, and that, right? Okay. Um, now, some of these, I will admit, just because of your... Um, Lack of certain interests you might not get. Okay. Um, is the tip of Pikachu's tail black or yellow? I have no idea, but I've seen a lot of Pikachus, and I'm going to go with yellow. That is correct. Okay. Uh, many people, so his ears are tipped black. Okay. So many people recognize it with the black tail as well, okay. but that's not the case. But, but, no, it's not just they don't recognize it. They insist that right. there's some they otherworldly Pikachu such, and that they cannot be wrong. How about those those bears that live together? Mama bear, papa bear, and sister bear, and brother bear. Well, my grandma called them Bernstein, but I know it to be the Bernstein bears because we watched the Well, TV we show. watched this, yeah, they very vividly sang it, yes. right? Um, some people think it's the Bernstein, uh-huh. S-T-E-I-N, but it's really a stain. Yes. Curious, te- Curious George, tail or no tail? Okay, I don't really remember, but I think I remember hearing he has no tail. That is correct. Okay. How do you spell Chick-fil-A? C-H-I-K-F-I-L-A. You are wrong. It's C-K? It's C-K. You didn't get 100%. Aw. What does Darth Vader say to Luke about his parentage? Okay, I know this because I heard it but i would have said luke i am your father right. but i know there is no luke on the front okay what does it say you remember no i'm your father very good okay now i i don't actually know that i remember that okay, from now good this one morning. this one will just be crazy if you get it right okay is c-3po completely gold i have no idea okay the answer is no he has okay. a silver leg Oh, does he? Mm-hmm. Oh, is that something you would know if you were a Star Wars fan? Oh, no. Most Star Wars fans you know, from a certain paradoxical universe don't believe that. Um, how does Mr. Rogers' song start? Um, this one was on there, too. Let's see if you remember. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood? Wrong. Wait, just a second. 
I don't know. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Ugh. Okay, that that's just dumb. <laughs> what were we for? Okay, Rebecca, you watched this maybe last year with your children. I love Mr. Rogers. <laughs> is Mona Lisa smiling or frowning? You know, I think this is a subjective question. I think she has her mouth upturned a little bit, so I'd go Very with smiling. Good. Okay. Is there a dash in the word Kit Kat? I don't think so. That's correct. Okay. Did Sinbad, you know, the lovable, lovable fellow from the 90s? Yeah. Did Sinbad star as a genie in a movie in the 90s? Okay. Not Kazam. It's not the movie with Shaq. I know. It was... I, I actually heard about this on one of my podcasts this Darn. afternoon. It was right. known as a Shazam, this movie that never existed. And I think College Humor actually put Sinbad into a movie or a trailer that never existed called Shazam. But no, there's no such thing. That's correct. What did Forrest Gump say about life and chocolates? Life is like a box of chocolates. Nope. What did he say? Life was like a box of chocolates. (sighs) That right there, that's just an often misquoted line. Right. Or has it changed? It has not. I was wrong. How hard is that to say? How does Hannibal Lecter greet Clarice Starling? I don't remember, but I know the famous quote is, Hello, Clarice. So is that true? I don't know. It is not. Does he just say, Clarice? He says, Good morning. Oh, okay. What is the movie about vampires starring Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise called? Uh, Now, I'm sure it's going to be the article, the or a. (laughs) Interview with a vampire or the vampire? The vampire. Come on, Rebecca. Which, I mean, there were two vampires. Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise were both vampires. But one of them was interviewing the other, duh. Really? Okay, I, I, I vaguely remember that. What does the evil queen and Snow White say to her mirror? Okay, I I know that the quote is mirror, mirror on the wall, but I think it's actually magic mirror on the wall. The misquote is mirror, mirror. It's okay. actually magic mirror on the wall. Who's What's, the fairest of them all? It's not that either. Okay, what is it? It is, who is the fairest one of all? Oh. There you go. Two more. You're you're starting starting to struggle a bit here. No. Is Jiffy peanut butter a thing? No. Jiffy is a muffin mix. Jiff is peanut butter. (laughs) There you go. Heard that on the podcast. And finally. (laughs) Finally. Yes. How do you spell Fruit Loops? F-R-O-O-T. L-O-O-P-S. I have a question for you. What is the Dharma Initiative? A bunch of numbers. Six, one, six. (gasps) Oh my gosh, you remember the numbers. That's from Lost, by the way. Don't bother. Go ahead. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I can't encourage people to watch it. I have have remembered all the things I know about memory. So what, what have I missed, Rebecca? I don't really think anything. At some point, though, I'd like to get into false confessions. It's okay. not the same thing as a false memory. Whenever I um, suggested it to you... Mm-hmm. That's I what was, you had in mind? I had in mind false confessions. And then I started to think about it and I said, well, that's not a false memory. That's just someone being pressured and persuaded to give a false confession that right. they know is false. So we're going to have to get into that at some point because that's very interesting. But... I found this very Maybe we can do an episode on forensic psychology. 
Oh my maybe. god. No, not a maybe. That's a yes. <laughs> okay. I didn't even remember that existed. So but. before I agree to do anything else, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and come back next time for more psychological hilarity. And again, this is not a substitute for actual psychological care. It was not meant to cure what mentally ails you. If you feel you need this help, please seek it out for yourself from a qualified mental health and professional in your area. Thank you. Bye.